0: You know, there might be some other companies doing analytics for other groups of people very well. Yeah, I mean, there are zillions of those companies out there, but we are the one that we are best for SaaS providers. Nobody knows the need of SaaS providers, especially in analytics, especially if they are running on AWS better than Kirby.
1: You show up for engaging conversations, we handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com.
2: Hey leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge again. Today, I'm really excited to welcome Arman Eshragi. He is the founder and CEO of Curve. And Arman, I would love if you
0: would give an introduction to yourself and the business. Sure. Thanks, David, for having me. I'm founder and CEO CU at Curve the company that started in 2016. And uh, we are a business analytics, a modern business analytics, I would say, for SaaS providers on AWS. And uh, that's essentially exactly you know, how we what we do and you know the way we do it and whom we are marketing to. So a very brief description of the business essentially. Uh, I started my previous company also in the business analytic world. Uh, in 2000, and the company was Logi XML back then, and then changed the name in 2011 or 12 to Logi Analytics, and it still exists. I don't have any, you know, I'm not a officer or board member or shareholder anymore in that company. was acquired some years ago, so my only involvement now is Curve. A.
2: Excellent. Well, we'll get into the founder journey. I'm sure you learned a lot <laughs> of things, you know along the way that analytics being so important to really any SaaS provider. Can you talk about the need that that meets and then how you addressed it for, I know you invested heavily into serverless and for anybody that doesn't know that we should probably explain a little bit about why that, that matters as well, you know, on the technical roadmap.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you touched on, Two main points here, one is the data analytics, as you said, that is going to you know increase its role in what we do. We are moving to a society that is going to be more and more I would say data centric. Maybe you know fifty years ago it was more about we as a society. we decide to do certain things, and as we have seen, I think it's a good move that we have seen more. Now we are making decisions based upon data. Not necessarily, you know, the 10 people in the room, the majority think this way or the other way. Um, we back it with data and that, that became, becomes a kind of rule, for example, in the society or changes something. And that's great. So it's, it's, the society is becoming more data-centric and we need analytics in order to really come up with those decisions that are the right decisions for all of us. It might be our company, might be our organization, might be our community, our city, our country, and the world. Those decisions when it comes to, in particular, you know about new architecture and serverless and the way it works, I think those are just you know opportunities that never existed before for us to a scale to be more environmental friendly. So it has many different facets. To be honest with you, it helps the environment because when you say serverless, that means that your server is not running 24 hours in order for you to use it only for some minutes. You can really you know just use the resources better. And that will become more and more an issue because the number of this kind of computing power that we are talking about, the amount of that is increasing. So we have to really just use it more efficiently rather than wasting that. Besides, it's just economically better, environmentally better, and it's just better scales. So you can scale faster. Many benefits come with it. But, But all of those will translate to the role of data and analytics in the new world. At the same time, is increasing. So the demand is there, the need is there, and it's just a matter of hey, we need to do a better job to satisfy that need, and these new technologies are enablers for those need that essentially market is, is is just you know demanding. Right,
2: right, and your solution particularly provides the analytics layer that a SaaS provider then can build into their tools so that it can track all the things that are necessary to track the metrics for the business and the performance and i imagine there's all kinds of usage and you know things of that nature so is, is that right that they can build your platform in so they don't have to home grow their own uh, analytics solution they need the data they just shouldn't be in the business of having to build that entire layer into their own tool. Exactly.
0: So, you know, this is my fourth company. So the very first company I started in college at the age of 18, uh, that was the time that we actually built our database when we started our, I mean, there was a floppy disk and the floppy disk, the very modern one was 3.5 inch floppy disks, that hard case rather than soft case.
2: Yeah.
0: Yep. we had to really... The one that looks
2: like the save button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, so... You know, we needed to build our own database when we built an application. So any software we were building, we had to think how to store the data on this floppy disk. And we could, at, at that time, it was okay to think about, I wanted to build my data repository and data engine. Now it's the time that if you wanted to build an application, it doesn't, It does, you, you even don't think about it. You just go ahead and just buy a database engine, right? So now we are in the age that people have, have been educated enough and analytic technologies have grown to a level that we just use the analytic technology. We don't build our own analytic kind of technology like 20 years ago. Even if you are a software company, it doesn't mean we should build our own database or we should build our own analytics. We just go there and say, I'm a software company. My application needs analytics and I need to get the data out the same way I get the data in. And I just wanted to essentially see what kind of technologies are available for me to use. And then I go there and just choose the technology that is designed for me. Now, talking about SaaS providers, we see SaaS providers need from an analytic perspective totally differently than others. So if you are thinking about a university need analytic, or we think about a hospital need analytics, or an organization needs analytic, that's different than a SaaS provider that creates solutions and applications for insurance companies, for hospitals, for universities need analytic. So this is different. In that case, uh, essentially, they are running a three-tier model rather than a two-tier model. So if I'm selling my software to universities, then I need a kind of software, including analytic capabilities, that has a different deployment model has a different licensing model, has a different architecture, it scales differently. And multi-tenancy has totally different meaning in that case. Administration part is different. A lot of things. And if that's not designed for SaaS providers, it's like, you know, I go and just, you know, I'm a restaurant, but I go and just buy things for my kitchen from the same place that people go and households go there and just buy it's a different, you know. It's not the commercial kitchen has a different need than my kitchen at home, uh, you know, for cooking for two of us. So, so the same way, SaaS providers have very advanced needs than we taught at corvey that we need to really focus on their needs, and nobody else has done it before at that scale, at that level. Everybody else is mixing all of these. So I'm selling to SaaS providers, and I'm selling to Anybody else, right? At Curve, we are just selling to SaaS providers. But I also need to um, mention that some companies you hear, um, you know them, you may not categorize them as a SaaS provider, but they have actually software companies within their organization. If you think of big companies, any big company, like, you know, if you think of, for example, let's say even Domino Pizza, You know, you may not think of it as a SaaS company, but has a SaaS entity that is actually building software for the whole organization. If you think of an oil company, it's an oil company, but if it's a big oil company, they have a SaaS provider within themselves. So in a way, the whole software industry is growing. The whole number of SaaS companies is growing. And that is a market that, for those reasons, they have a special needs. And it's a growing market. We decided to focus on that market.
2: The growing growingest market. Uh, <laughs> like classic, you know, sort of every company is a software company. Exactly. Now, right. So, yeah. And that makes a lot of sense to uh, this is, you're basically talking about, you know, layers of abstraction that we don't build all the things we need. We can turn a, a service on for any sort of different technology that we need to then make more and more layered and complex. Solutions, there's a great deal of interdependency now where you would have in business or in technology or any combination of that 15 years ago, you would have essentially owned and built all your own things and and that business process and technology and you know all types of stuff. And now all we're we're all doing is just consuming this this cloud of services that quite literally is dozens of different. SaaS applications, hundreds of different things. And, uh, you know, it's an interesting new paradigm. It's easier than ever to spin up and scale a business if you can figure out how to manage then the complexity of all the things you need to to put together for it. Exactly. So talk about your journey there for four different companies starting way back when. Uh, sounds like an acquisition was part of the the journey there. And, you know, just... Paint the picture of that that founder journey to get to to building the next one and you know
0: what happens through all that and what have you learned? Sure. I should admit that honestly, many of these things that I did in the past, it was not like based on a master plan or it was based on analysis and exact analysis. Uh, many of them just, you know, it it you, you feel like it's the right time to do it without even thinking why it's the right time to do it. And then, when you do it, you may come back and just look at the past and find the pattern that actually the four companies had a pattern that maybe I did not realize at the time that I started in each of them. But now you can see the pattern. The pattern I see during the last, you know, some year, years and decades of starting these companies, it seems like at the point, the tipping point, that something in a major way, the major shift happened. And then at that point, I thought, this is the time to really get on that major shift and take advantage of that new technology that is going to change everything. So the very first company, when MS-DOS came to market, we were one of the first. We created the application on MS-DOS at that level. And then it came more like Windows came. And I do remember that the second company, we were waiting for Windows to release a software that it doesn't crash, so we can't really release our software. And as soon as Windows 3.1 released, at the same month, it was perfect timing. We had the software out. And at that time, people didn't have this kind of you know GUIs, that graphical, GUI, graphical kind of way, uh, the kind of changing windows. And it was very helpful for our application at the time because we needed multiple windows and people really do these kind of things. The third application, The third company was at the time XML came to market. It was 99 and XML introduced. And XML to me was the kind of uh, merge of data and web that before 99, it was more about really content. Data was web, was more a catalog. And then XML came and mixed data with it. And that was really the time that we started as uh, purely web based and then bringing kind of making a web based reporting, web based. Uh, kind of, you know, application building experience back then and bringing Logi, logic of the application into XML modeling it and then bringing that new language that is XML-based logic and we named it Logi XML. and And that was really the time that, again, it was the birth of XML and web. And when we started, we felt that AWS coming to market And AWS is going to change the landscape. It's going to make it easier for SaaS providers to start their own company. They don't need to buy servers. They just go there and use any number of servers. The microservices were introduced, and we thought that's a game changer. All of these services that AWS was massively invested on the machine learning, AI, many other services, it was just every year they were introducing this huge number of services and we knew that these are going to get better and better and better. And if we build an AWS native uh, application and product, we can just leverage all of those uh, technologies. And we bet on it at a time that maybe for many people, it was too early to bet on that. But we bet, you you know, we put all of the our eggs into that basket, essentially. And we said, let's just build this technology, AWS Native, and we made that decision in 2015. And it's kind of, you know, in Amazon time, like centuries ago, because the whole technology just was, you know, being created at the time on the fly. But it was the time that we had started, and we learned quite a bit on many fronts, including the kind of AWS had its own kind of, you know, um, building these services and maybe not everything was documented back then and not everyone knew everything and then you had to try it and then learn and then you know connect and get support and those kind of things but nonetheless the timing worked well so by the time that we finished the product it was perfect timing to really talk about microservices no serv- uh, you know the serverless architecture talk about the aws ai ml and all of those services and be able to serve as SaaS providers who are running on AWS natively. And so much has changed across AWS
2: in that time. I don't believe serverless wasn't available until what twenty seventeen. I think
0: yeah, seventeen. They started talking about it. Yeah,
2: yeah. So you basically had to pivot into that from what would have been EC2 or something at, at that
0: at that level. Yeah. But microservices was there. So and we had everything in microservices. And it's much easier to move from microservices essentially to serverless because we had everything microservices. So for us it was not a major change, but it's still it I I do remember that it took us probably a few months, but not more, but to optimize everything from you know for for that environment.
2: As a business leader, you've now been through a series of companies. I think I read in the story that some original team members from the various adventures, you know, came along to the the next one. And I, I'm a big believer in if you if you are sort of a serial entrepreneur that you collect people along the way. And and I always love to ask about those stories, you know, uh how how the band has moved along the way together and uh you know as a Collector of people, I, I find that a lot of serial entrepreneurs are that way, and I'm, I'm just curious if that's your story too.
0: Sure. When I, when you look at uh, software companies, maybe the reason I say software companies—that's all I know. Maybe this is the rule that applies to any business. Honestly, I don't know, but I will talk about something I firsthand experienced it, and that software business, product business, B two B. You know, there are four characteristics, right? So the team is number one by far. If you have a good team, then magically everything goes well. And everything you can figure out everything else and you can raise money well and you can execute well. The other three parameters that essentially need to be there in order for the business to be successful is, of course, having the good market product fit or actually serving the need of the market in a good way, in a perfect way. Also, you need to have the discipline and the execution and the planning power, and then you need to have access to capital. So these are four parameters. But as I said, team is the base, because if there is no good team, then none of the other parameters will happen. So I'm fortunate that unlike the previous company that I was a kind of unknown person when I started with broken English, just you know uh, arrived here in the u s and I really couldn't even i didn't know not that many people to really go there and just you know i had to in a it took a while and I had to really build that kind of team gradually and it took longer. I was fortunate that when I started curve a, then we had access to great people that we could actually you know bring to the team, and I was lucky that you know they were willing to uh, you know, work with this new company as well. So that worked well, and uh, that helps. I think that helps a lot. I think you know. I think if you can build a great team, that will ease the life of the startup.
2: Right. Yeah. Absolutely. How do you recommend people or other founders would would think about that? Building the team is so important. I think everybody knows that. But if you if you don't have a co-founder. Uh, and you need to figure out which pieces of the business to bring in other people into and, and evaluate them. And it's not your strong area. I mean, it's one of the hardest things is knowing where to hire, where to build a team if you don't have that, you know, sort of personal connection to those folks. Uh, any tips there on from your experience?
0: I think one of the uh, one of the I would say common mistakes that I've made that that mistake probably many times as well. And I see, you know, happening is sometimes we mix friendship with business partnership or business relationship. In the friendship style, you want to be friends with people like you. So you both, you know, like to do the same thing. If you like, for example, to play golf, then your friend plays golf too. So you can go and spend time together. So we look at the similarities and we wanted to really go and just find those people that we are so similar, that we enjoy talking about the same topic. We think about the same thing. We do the same things. When it comes to business, it should not be about, I wanted to you know, attract and hire people that are exactly like me. I'm not trying to really build that kind of, it's a different, I need people that, are strong in areas that I'm not. I want people that are more complementary to me. I want more diversity. I want, from any aspect, they think different than me. Actually, it's a plus if they think totally different than me. So when you go to the room to really talk with these people and make a decision, that variety of thinking and variety of opinions and approaches and different um, you know uh, logic that everyone brings to the table it actually improves the whole thing it helps your business you know so that might be one of the characteristics we encourage people to you know understand the logic in the company behind any decision we make And always ask why. It doesn't matter if I'm the person who says, hey, we need to do this or anybody else. We should understand what is the reason. And if we don't know the reason, we should not just say, yes, let's do it. Because then how do you know, if, even if today it makes sense, it will make sense to do the same thing tomorrow because the reason may go away. And if we just remember that this is the way we are going to do it, uh, that's not good, then you continue doing something that does not make sense. And then whoever who's smarter than us is going to win. So that's really something that, you know, if that culture is cultivated, and when you get to the room, people are expected to ask why and to understand the reason, uh, even if they you may not need their approval, because that's if if I'm a product manager, I have my own kind of things to decide. If I'm an engineer, I have some other things that I need to decide, but still I need to be able to explain why even even if I'm the decision maker on that topic. I think it helps the team to have a great experience, so when they come to work, they don't come to work thinking that you know I'm just following orders, and that's the worst thing to think about. You need to really come to the work and say, I'm here making impact, I'm here to explain why I'm doing this and then cooperate, collaborate with others who explain why they are doing what they do. And then we all learn and then make a decision and move forward. And and that environment, I think, is providing the purpose, right? So we come to work with a purpose that builds a purpose. As soon as I start following the orders or following the instructions without having that thinking and asking why and understanding, the purpose goes away. And when that sense of purpose go away, uh, goes away, then it's not really the team building practice anymore. And I think one of the things that I have heard again and again is people say, "Hey, you know, the companies that we worked together was the best experience we had because we had that experience, right?" And that's a that's a that's a good way to build a team.
2: Right. Yeah. I love what you said there, and I, I think we've all had jobs where you go, "Like, why are we doing?" this thing. And then if you've gone in and sort of dug into why you're doing it, I can remember distinctly my first, you know, uh, higher level executive job. And I went into all these processes and reports and and people were spending hours and hours every Monday producing hand-drawn reports uh, from data into spreadsheets and emailing it out to the rest of the team. And I i went to every person on that email chain and said what do you do with this thing after he sends it to you and so I, and to a member they said i don't know what that is i delete it i thought it was for somebody else and so nobody read the report that was taking four hours to do and i canceled it you know but but that question had not been asked to that point you know why are we doing this are the assumptions? that we use to make this decision even valid anymore. Does anybody even remember why we started this thing in the first place? And uh, it's so easy to, even in a a well-meaning culture, it's easy to fall into that if you aren't actively training yourself and your people to say, you know, am I doing the things I'm doing? Do the reasons still exist? Has the world changed and moved? scale is a great example is that every you know five to ten x scale of the business you're really running a different company which means you ought to be thinking about does anything i did before uh, matter you know you really are starting over at every order of magnitude exactly yeah how do you see the the future path of of the company you know it's obviously it's grown very quickly and you've you know accomplished a lot there and how much time do you just spend thinking about the future and the what's next and backing out from the current business and being strategic, you know, kind of in that way? That's very often a CEO's role is to zoom in and out on the, the daily basis and then the future. And it's a lot to
0: process. Yeah. And it goes back to, again, um, when you can afford to have really a quality team, that helps a lot for the you know, CEO to think more strategically. I do remember days in old days that I couldn't even afford doing that because I was essentially building this. I mean, if if I I could not stop, you know, thinking tactically, practically about every single bit of the business, every day, every minute, every hour, because the business was not moving forward, and I had to really do that. So, but there are there is a time that. As you gradually build the team the team quality moves up moves up they need to do less and less and less and that's a good sign that's what you really you know you need to see Uh, i would say in my case at uh, curvey it it worked pretty well i had uh, some health issues on my eye uh, last quarter so i had to really just take some time off and and uh, you know go through a number of surgeries and q1 turned out to be the best quarter ever so I learned the lesson that when I'm not really that much involved, actually business doing much better than when I am involved. So, uh, and and that's really uh, goes back to again the quality of the team. That you know they're not waiting essentially for uh, me to make any decision in daily basis, and essentially they are the decision makers. And when I meet with them, it's not like I'm meeting with them to make any decision. I'm there to be a sounding board in some cases, just you know, just getting updated uh, and get educated on the topic myself because they are more expert in their domain. I'm not expert in any domain that they are working on, either marketing, product management, sales, just name it. I mean, any, any domain that anyone is talking with me, they are expert, I'm not. So I would say that during that process, when you go, there are big mistakes normally. I mean, it's more like, you know, you are winning the battle, but you are losing the war. So if you look at companies it happens again and again and again if you go back to the history it happened many many times many good rulers many good kings many good presidents they really won the battle the battles at the end they lost the war because of that point that you just mentioned that thinking strategically versus thinking tactically so when you are really thinking in everyday task and every single task in the day is being done right, and every week is being done right, it's still at the end, you are losing the war. That's the very classic story. You are not the first person. Every, there are zillions of cases in the history, in different companies, every day happening. And in order to think about the whole war, not talking about or focusing too much into the battle. It's just a different way of thinking. It's just, you know, detaching yourself a little bit and then looking at everything and then say, maybe again, I should ask why you're doing this, why we are doing this way, why the product do that way. Also, it's a little bit about at this again, I'm talking about software business, product, B2B. But when you are a product company, sometimes you fall in love with your product. You have worked You have spent tons of time, money to think about your product, to build your product. Your product has made you successful, and now you're in love with your product. Market is dynamic. Market is changing. Market is going to a a slightly different direction gradually, step by step, but you are so in love with your product that you wanted to improve your product rather than thinking about the market. And when you detach yourself from the market, as soon as you change, you know the path, and your product is adding feature and feature, and you love to add this capability. For the last five years, you have improved it, and you are getting better and better. But you'd never ask: Is this capability is a top priority for the market? Maybe not anymore. Maybe market totally changed. Maybe maybe the birth of AWS and the cloud phenomenon just totally changed the equation, but you are still thinking that that capabilities are number one at selling point, and they are not, or they're less. So I would say really the number one uh, you know thing that I personally think about is I wanted to know the market more than I wanted to know about the product. And I wanted to make sure that our identity as a company is tied to the people we serve them. So when I told you curve A is about providing modern or embedded business analytics to SaaS providers running on AWS, you can change every word of that sentence and it's still your curve, A, but you should not change SaaS providers. That part is not negotiable. In the future, you may say, hey, Armand, we talked a couple of years ago, and now you are providing analytics and automation and providing some other things. I say, yeah, we just evolved, and we are enhancing that part. It doesn't change Kirby's identity. You may say, Armand, you were native on AWS, now you have another native solution on Google platform. Yes, we have GPC covered in a native way as well, now we have AWS and GPC and Azure. doesn't change curve identity. Curve's identity is we are providing these technologies to SaaS providers. And that's our market. We need to stick to it. We need to serve them well. We need to know their needs very well, better than themselves. So, So that's really the part that to me is the war. The rest are just some battles. Right? So So that's really the way I personally would see that, you know, we need to pay attention to it and we need to define it as our identity. And, you know, there might be some other companies doing analytics for other groups of people very well. Yeah, I mean, there are zillions of those companies out there, but we are the one that we are best for SaaS providers. Nobody knows the need of SaaS providers, especially in analytics, especially if they are running on AWS. Better than Kirby.
2: I love that. I think that's the best point. We uh, we should we should end on that. That was a wonderful <laughs> point. That I, I hope every CEO and founder is really thinking about that. The market, the customer. It's not always product led. Don't fall in love with your solution. And I see this stuff happen in tiny companies, you know, single founder technical companies that they are just so in love with their thing, except it's a beautiful solution to a problem that nobody wants to pay to solve and the market does win and uh, i think that alignment is so important and you can say oh well, i'm not a subject matter expert in any of the particular domains when in fact that domain that one piece of paying attention to that pulse of the market and that strategy that that's the thing and that i think as a as a ceo is is really important And building that team so that you can allow yourself to to abstract up to to that strategic thinking level that is what will make an enduring company armandus i learned a lot thank you you got me thinking i'm gonna have to go spend some strategic time myself so (laughs) i appreciate you spending time with us thank you for the insights if anybody wants to be in touch with you or the company what's the best way for that
0: i'm pretty active on linkedin so we'll be happy to connect on linkedin and be in touch also you know i i'm active on twitter a little bit less but still on twitter and then uh, of course you know always happy to hear on the curvey.com. if you go to our website there are zillions of you know there are many good pages out there that you can learn and we provide contact to be connected with you on, on the website as well so i'm a few clicks away with any way you choose Uh, to connect. And my email address is pretty simple. My first name, arman at curvey.com.
2: Well, thank you so much for sharing and thanks for spending time with us.
1: Yeah,
0: fantastic. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.